You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Um, we've got some links, Mike. And uh, let's invite Dale and Angela. Do you want to come up? We'll introduce you to those who don't know you. Dale and Angela planted the church up in Sydney, how many years ago was it? 17 years ago. So they've been leading that church for quite a while. They've been through a lot of ups and downs and things. They've been good friends of uh, City Edge Church and now of us as well. And uh, we've enjoyed the friendship. We've, had them, we've got them in our house this weekend. And many of you would have heard Dale and Angela sharing last night their barbecue. It was uh, inspiring stuff actually and encouraging stuff I found and um, a great evening so um, welcome to City Edge Church again it's great to have you here and um, we, uh, we won't be taking up an offering specifically for them but we will be giving them a gift for their service they come down here at their own expense there's, um, there's no expectations from them that we should pay them but I think we should honour their uh, their service, their heart to serve us as well, their heart for the Lord. So um, this week, if you, you feel that you've been blessed by it or if you just want to bless them, then uh, you know what our donation details are. It's on, the, on our website. It's in the newsletter as well. If you can make a donation financial transaction thing through the bank, however you choose to do it, and maybe just put Dale or something on there so we can identify it and we will make sure get something to bless them for their return trip. <laughs> okay, Father, we just thank you for this couple. We thank you for their heart, especially for you, Jesus, and uh, for their desire to build your kingdom, to build up the people of God wherever they may be. Um, we thank you that they have heard your call to plant the church, to lead, to serve in ministry for all these years. We thank you for the hearts that have been touched over those years. We thank you for the hearts that will be touched in years to come, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that they have a desire to make your word known. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, Lord, we thank you that their heart is to make your word known and bring about faith in that way. Lord, we pray this morning that you'll use Dale as uh, an instrument of your Holy Spirit to speak to us. We open our ears and we open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning through Dale. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, we're just having a discussion here. Um, so I just find it amazing. <coughs> You know how in a movie or in a book they always introduce a character and there's always a reason? It's like never, not a reason for why. You go, oh, why is that character in here? What's he got to do with it? I feel that God, God does that. There's no coincidences with God that we're here today and that Eric is here today um, because we run a thing called Hope Walk in September around Suicide Awareness Day um, and just I think maybe we can connect and maybe show this movie or whatever. But just God doesn't just do it randomly, that those guys are here and we're here. Two random people from way apart 
And I just think that's just amazing. It's just, it's not a coincidence. God uses every little thing. If someone comes into your life, there's a reason for it. Amen. Yes, so Hope Walk is something that was started from uh, one of the churches in our network uh, by a guy guy named Joseph in Auckland, I think, yeah. And now, I don't know how many, last I heard there's about 30 Hope Walks now around the world. Um, And really big in New Zealand. (laughs) Don't know why I'm emotional, maybe it's New Zealand. Um, Strange. All I was going to say is big New Zealand because there's a lot of suicide there. I think we should pray for New Zealand. I know, that's what I mean. Maybe Ian, you'd like to pray for New Zealand and I'll drink some water. Father, we just bring the nation of New Zealand, the people of New Zealand before you now. Lord, it's a, such a tragedy, a heartbreaking tragedy what's happened over there, Lord, but we know you are sovereign and you can bring good out of the worst situations, Lord. Lord, we pray your comfort for the people of New Zealand, the ones, especially the ones that have been directly impacted by it, they've lost loved ones or loved ones injured or whatever, doesn't just affect those who have been killed or maimed, it affects their communities, it affects their families broadly, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you bring your comfort to them? Would you bring peace to them, Lord, even in their hurt? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just envelop them in arms of love, this morning, in the days and the weeks coming ahead as the, as the pain deepens, as the awareness of what's happened becomes more real to them and the shock wears off, Lord, would you embrace them tighter? Would you bring your love to them, Lord? And pray, Lord, that through this pain, this heartache, this grief, that you will turn their eyes to Jesus. You will cause them to ask, what's the meaning of life? What's the reason? Is there, is there more to this than just meets the eye? And to seek Jesus. To seek the one who can bring the only true comfort and the only true rest. So Lord, we pray for them this morning. We will pray for them this week, Lord. And... Uh, Lord, we will fast. I invite all of us actually to fast for New Zealand this week and pray for them. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the work you will do through this, the good you will do through this. Amen. All right. That's good. I'm not a particularly emotional person. But I can be. I think it's the Spirit of God often. When he comes, he can move your heart and things can happen, um, and we need that. So, yeah. I also relate a lot to this subject because um, I became a Christian when I was 17 from a background of drugs and and hopelessness. (laughs) It's going to be a long day. (sighs) So, anyway, 
What are we doing? Oh yeah, I'm going to preach a sermon to you now. I'm going to talk about waiting. I want to talk to you about waiting, waiting on God um, and waiting for him to come through. Um, can I say I don't like waiting? I think most of us don't like waiting. Uh, it's a very English thing to do. And if you've ever been to England, my daughter lives in England, so I have to go to England fairly regularly. She's getting married next year. And the English are very good at waiting. They queue. They queue well. I don't think we queue very well. Queuing is a bit like high tea. It's not really my cup of tea. Uh, we've got this post office where we, we send money to the Philippines to support some people over there um, every three months that work with uh, really poor kids in feeding them. And I make sure that I time it, that I've worked out that I need to go to that post office about between 10 and 11 a.m. because I don't want to be in that line. This is a massive line. I think we live in a culture where this instant gratification is very much a part of who we are almost and these things represent it very much and they're all around us and in the West particularly we like to get what we want now. Uh, I read an article this week about banks. Banks said that they just make credit out of thin air, this particular bank did. Uh, maybe in some countries they're regulated a bit more but you know, we can go get a loan, we can get what we want. Uh, we don't like to wait. I think most of us don't like to wait. Sometimes if you talk about the Simpsons, it polarises people in the church, but it reminds me of Homer Simpson once when he started a business called Mr Plough and he wanted to plough driveways, get the snow off it. And he did a commercial to try and generate uh, some revenue and people were ringing him up. And he watched his commercial and he said, and now we play the waiting game. And he sits there for like 10 seconds. He says, oh, the waiting game sucks. Let's play Hungry Hungry Hippos. And so he wanted action and he wanted something going on and I, I think we're not good with waiting, but it's a spiritual discipline to, to wait on God. And there are quite well-known scriptures and you're probably already thinking of them that talk about waiting on God and we're going to talk about them a little bit today. So biblically, what we see across the scriptures is that God uses waiting to fulfil his purposes in us and through us. And so the, the dream that Eric talked about, our vision, a passion that we may or may not have, sometimes even God has spoken something into our heart and he's put something in there that we're to do. Uh, it's, it's ordained by him, but he actually requires us to wait. One of the biggest ones for me was... Um, at 19, I believe I was called by God to plant a church. But we didn't plant a church till I was 35 or 6. Now, my journey is not your journey, but my journey included a lot of waiting. And there are a lot of specific things that are in your life and mine that require us to take that time. But can I tell you that there's a great song out, uh, comes through Bethel and someone else who wrote it. It's, it's called Take Courage. And it talks about waiting and that God is in the waiting. And there's this line in the song called, that says, he's in the waiting. So I don't know why, maybe what you're waiting for. Like, what are you waiting for? Normally when we use that expression in our culture, what are you waiting for? What we mean is don't wait. Don't we? What are you waiting for? Get on and do that thing. And, you know, we don't want to lag behind God, but we also don't want to run ahead of him of whatever his purposes are in our lives. And I think sometimes when we're younger, we get frustrated with waiting more than when we're older, apparently. 
uh, I think children, if you have them, they can teach you patience. That's uh, it's part of, again, God's plan, I think, to make us more rounded. Hopefully when we get older we're able to wait more and be at peace in the waiting and be looking for what is God trying to teach me in the waiting. And so he is himself, though, in the waiting. He, uh, yesterday in the leadership time, we talked mostly sort of around eldership. And when you look at eldership, we believe very much that eldership teams govern local churches. They're still a leader of that team. And we looked at the qualifications of leaders. And, you know, like scripturally, it only talks about elders and deacons in a local church that govern it. And when you look at the qualifications of them, they are all character qualifications or spiritual qualifications if you look at Acts 6. And there's only one qualification in the elders that has any leaning towards giftedness and it's able to teach. And I don't even think it means this type. It just means they know the word of God really well. So deacons, and deacon just means servant. It tells you something about what the role is. An elder is a shepherd. tells you something about what the role is. Um, it denotes the character of it. What we see and when we looked at leadership there is that the emphasis is on character and that's often why God makes us wait. Everybody is different. And so please don't hear me projecting onto you my journey. But my journey is I felt called to be a pastor. I was an ambitious young man. A lot of younger people today in a good way, I think, are not ambitious necessarily for leadership. Perhaps you've seen how difficult it can be. And you think, well, why do I want that? And the response is, see, there's some nods down the back. That's because you're more sensible than I was. I think I wanted it for a certain glory for myself and didn't hardly know it. Yet I was genuinely called. Maybe I had Joseph syndrome. You know, people speculate that there were, maybe there was an element of pride in Joseph when he saw the sun and the moon and his parents, whatever, bow down and before him. And whoa, you know, we, we attach our interpretations to that and the process and the time of it. But as you know from his life, if you know it well, he went through an awful lot of waiting in prison. But wow, the, so, someone has said, you never know who's on the other side of your obedience. You never know who's on the other side of your waiting. So in my personal context in my life, I remember saying, I'm ashamed of this. But I said to Angela when I was maybe 26 or 7, I said, if I'm not at least an associate pastor by the time I'm 30, I'll have failed God. And it's funny now, but I was so ambitious. And I thought, I must achieve this thing because I'm called. But he had other ideas. And I think, man, if I was a pastor before his time, let's put it like that, because it's not really about age. It's about his plan through your life. Because there are plenty of people who were called to do things like that, much younger than 25 even. Uh, most of the early apostles were very young, probably 18. People speculate that maybe only Peter was of age, but we won't go into that right now, like legal recognised age of uh, an adult. Be that as it may, Scripture, you know, Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you for your youth. It's about God's agenda. And in the waiting, he shapes our character to fulfil his purpose and to fashion more of Christ in us. We become more like him in the waiting. He's in the waiting and it's very important for us to go through that process. My old pastor used to say, he's with the Lord now, when I, when I was this young, ambitious, ah, sort of guy, he'd say, God's got plenty of time, Dale. I hated that. What? 
Because there is this tension. Christ is returning. This world, look at it. Look at how in the moral decline that's in it. I tend to look more at the moral decline than I look at trying to work out what's going on in Revelation and Iran and will the oil tend to tar when a nuclear weapon drops on it. You know, people look at all that stuff. And that's fine if you do that up to a point unless you're obsessed by it. But I look at more the moral decline. That you're in the last days where people have a form of godliness but they deny its power. Uh, and I think sometimes that's where we live, where even in the church we're saying, you know what, just stay as you are, like hyper grace, or that you can be gay and be a Christian too. God's cool with that. Why, you know, why would he create you like that if you shouldn't just embrace it? Crikey. But, very Australian response. But, you know, and, and actually that denying the power of it is, is a denial of the power to change if you look at the context. It's talking about morality and character. I think it's in Timothy. It's not in my notes. Um, when I was a young guy, I used to think that meant, oh, people that don't move into the supernatural. There's churches out there that don't believe in, in tongues and prophecy and healing and deliverance and miracles. Because I came from a church like that, very conservative, into charismatic, then Pentecostal, and then whatever this is we're in now. Um, and so I used to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. People that don't believe in the gifts. But I don't think that's the context. The context is actually talking about people not believing in the power for us to be like Christ, to be changed from the inside out and be shaped. And in the waiting, that's what God often is doing. But what are you waiting for? Maybe the better question is, who are you waiting for? And what is God doing in your life? They're good questions. But it's true sometimes, you know, if we, if we process waiting in a human way, then the, uh, is it a proverb? I think that you mentioned that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. We should always remember the next bit. A longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So there can be this gap. And if we process it humanly, we can lose hope. But if we process it with God and we have to help people find that, I think, we can find his purpose in the waiting. So he's in the waiting. Take courage, my heart, the Bethel song is called. Um, or maybe just take courage. Because I think when we wait and if we get our eyes off God and we're not sure exactly what's happening, then we can fear. And then we get anxious. And then the, one of the worst things we can do is we create an Ishmael meaning we go ahead to try and make it happen because we were unprepared to wait and maybe someone pressures us. Have you thought about maybe you should have sex with her and then that's who your offspring might be reckoned through that process. And if you know the story in Genesis, it caused all sorts of issues which probably flow right up to today. They do. And so sometimes with best intentions we can go and make something happen even a legitimate thing, if, if you look at that, it's like Abraham said, I'm going to bless you. Your children are going to be like the sands of the seashore, the stars in the sky, meaning innumerable. innumerable. That was right. And so, okay, that's the end result. This is why the end very rarely justifies the means if the means is not God. So in the midst of the waiting, you take courage. But how do you get courage? Well, I think you find it from his presence and knowing him. Knowing him in his presence. I often say to our church, 
you know, I'm all for counselling. We, we're off of sending people to professional counsellors. We have two people on our eldership that work for a full-time ministry called LL Ministries International that's about healing and deliverance counselling. And I have a leaning that way, and so does Angela. Yes, but I often say to them, you know, one word from God is worth like 10,000 hours in a counsellor's chair. One word. Just let the Spirit speak into your situation. And rad- things can change. So people can give you all the logic about waiting and this, that and the other. And, but you might be in worship in your car on the way home and you, th- you struggle. You might be saying, God, I struggled with what Dale said. I don't know what to think. Where are you, God? He just might say to you, be still. Now that could come through the Word and the Spirit of God enlightens it to it. It could come in your thought processes. Somehow that the Spirit of God gets a hold of a phrase, a truth that he wants to reinforce to you. Uh, my experience very much is that that just puts such peace in me, despite my circumstances, when he speaks in in a profound way. And it can be very simple and short. Is this making sense? I hope so. The song says, slow down. The Bethel song, take courage. Slow down. There's a thing. Take time. Breathe in, he said. He'd reveal what's to come, the thoughts in his mind. Always higher than mine. It's based on Isaiah 40. We're going to read it. He'll reveal all to come. Take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds. He's never failing. He's never failing. It's a good song. It's right to think about our triumph unfolding. We've just started a series in our church on overcoming. And I said to Ian, should I preach Sunday morning on waiting with a little bit about overcoming? Or should I preach on overcoming with a little bit of help waiting? And he felt to go this way and it seemed good to me and Ian and the Holy Spirit to talk about waiting more. But we can overcome obstacles that we may have in our lives, particularly those that force us to wait when we are quite reluctant about it, if we will find him in the waiting. It can cause us to overcome that which frustrates us. And we're forced to wait regarding. So we might be waiting for a call of God in our life to work out. The timing of it. We could be in a season of preparation. Might be like me, God spoke, but when? You might be waiting about employment. Or maybe you have a job, but it's not the job you really want. Uh, And you're waiting. You could be looking for a life partner. And you think, you know, where's my life partner? I was in a leaders meeting recently, I won't go into many details, just where one of the pastors who's single just burst into tears, been waiting for a life partner in mid-30s. And it was like quite confronting. They've been very honest and transparent. It was awesome. So we all gathered around them and prayed for them. Um, You could be waiting for the salvation of loved ones. I have two daughters that aren't following Jesus. I'm waiting. It's the biggest thing in our lives you can let the church go whatever you know sure I'm passionate about our church and what we're doing but you're waiting 
These are big things. So you can fill in the blank for your situation. And let's look at some scriptures. You can turn to Psalm 40 while I have a drink. I don't usually do this, by the way. Sometimes a little bit. Just waiting to compose myself. It's an object lesson. (laughs) All right. Two really well-known scriptures. I want to read both of them and talk a little bit more about the second one in a sec. Oh, look at that. It's up there on the back wall. Psalm 40, I'm just going to read it out of the NIV here. Uh, I don't know what that is, but it's cool. Quite a well-known song, mate, even more famous by U2. They wrote a song called Psalm 40, so you can Google that later. Look it up, it's a good song. Based directly on this song, lifted straight out of it. I think it's called Psalm 40 or How Long, might be in brackets. I waited patiently for the Lord, it's the Psalm of David. So maybe a bit of context, David is, I think, on the run at this point. If you read the rest of it, it certainly reads that way. There's a portion of his life where he was called to a particular role and a purpose. He'd been anointed by Samuel, but his father-in-law was a bit of a worry. So at one point tried to pin him to the wall with a javelin. Uh, He used to manifest a demon. He'd get David to play some worship music to calm down the evil spirit that's within me. Uh, He was an ambitious, rebellious uh, person who, insecure, I think, held on to power. He was a worry. Not a very good father-in-law. You talk about mother-in-laws from a you know, <laughs> terrible place. He's a pretty bad father-in-law. So, he was on the run at one point in his life. Uh, you know, God has said these incredible things to him, but he was waiting. And things were not working out as he had expected. He says, though, nonetheless, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in him. So there's a bigger purpose going on with David's circumstance. It's about others. There's other people on the side of his waiting. And when we read this, I think it's, it's metaphorical. And if you read the rest of the psalm, Um, he's still in trouble. There's still people wanting to kill him. But in the midst of, here I am, God's called me to do these certain things, and here I am not, and here's my father-in-law and the armies of Israel trying to kill me and the people that God has gathered to me. Nonetheless, he felt deliverance in that place. Why? Because he waited on God. And this is so much what I found, that you can get anxious, you can upset, and you need to wait on God. This morning, I got a message from somebody. I wish they never sent it to me this morning. It really put me off. And I've had to pray, speak in tongues. I find that very helpful. Worship and say, God, specifically, this is distracting me. I'm here for a different purpose. Someone unwisely sent me a text this morning. They should never have sent me a text just before I'm about to preach somewhere else. Uh, and it's like, ugh, and I have to deal with this thing. You've got to find him in the midst of frustrations and things not being exactly as you want. And you can find deliverance before you're delivered, literally. But deliverance in it, so you can go through it. So two well-known scriptures, there's that one and Isaiah 40, which I think is what the song out of Bethel is based on. Isaiah chapter 40 is 
probably quite well known as it's like where the book of Isaiah changes gears. The first 39 chapters, people see a parallel uh, with it being like the first 39 books of the Bible. Uh, it's, it's judgment. Uh, not saying that all of the Old Testament is judgment, but it's this transition from the children of Israel being judged. You know, it starts off Isaiah saying, woe to you, woe to you, and woe to you. And then he has an encounter with God and he says, woe is me. And I'm an undone, I'm undone, I, I've got unclean lips even, and I'm amongst this, amongst this nation, and so there's a lot of judgment, prophetic stuff. And then in chapter 40, it's, it switches and becomes messianic. And if you read the first few verses, you'll see the John the Baptist passage, voice in the wilderness, starts, and you start to hear about things called servant songs that are in there that, that talk about Christ, and, and it shifts to a new covenant prophetic outlook. Um, and... It's quite awesome. And so he says, comfort, comfort, my people. And, and there's this, this gear change uh, that Isaiah does in his ministry and in his writing. And people have noted that there's 27 chapters from 40 to 66, which is the amount of books in the New Testament. So that's just an interesting observation. I don't know if the guy who divvied up Isaiah did that deliberately. I doubt it because the uh, Old Testament, I don't know when the chapters were done. Anyway, let's leave that. But people have just noticed that over the years. So anyway, I want to pick up Isaiah 40 in and around that well-known verses about rising up on eagle's wings. So in it, God is saying basically, I'm epic, I'm awesome. He doesn't, he's not proud, he doesn't have a fat head. He's trying Isaiah to just get Isaiah to get some comfort from the greatness of who he is. And so there are various, who, who is like me, you know, were you there? It's a bit like when he um, confronted Job. Uh, Job needed to hear the awesomeness of God to help him process the desperation of his own situation. Sometimes that's what we need to do in the waiting. And just like with Job, and just like with many of us, we do not get specific answers to our specific situation necessarily. But he's in the waiting. And there's some of that going on here, I think. And so... In Isaiah 40, we can pick that up in verse 27. And if we get time, we'll come back to it at the end and look at it a bit more. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? When you're waiting and when maybe hopelessness has come in, this is how you feel. There are a lot of Christians who question the goodness of God and that he really knows what he's up to. And you can sing Good, Good Father. And we have people in our church, they struggle to sing that song with sincerity. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. Hmm. Anyway, so I'll talk about it more later. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will triumph. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. What great verses, aren't they? They're awesome. We love them. Stick them on the wall. In our church in Tasmania, we had a couple of banners. Blessed is the man whose heart is set on pilgrimage. was one of them. There was a big sailing ship going through ocean waves. And another one was this, with the eagle. I think it was descending or ascending or whatever. It should be ascending, shouldn't it, because it was rise up. But we had an artist in the church, and he would get his airbrush, and he'd draw these things on these massive banners, and it was really cool. 
and they were key verses to the journey of the church. And so we put them on the wall as a banner. And it's awesome when you can do that. So waiting then. The, the Hebrew word for waiting is, I don't know how, exactly how you pronounce it, it's, let's say kava. It's Q-A-V-A-H. And if you try to look up what does it mean, people will debate. They say, is it active or passive? Is it a waiting that in the waiting you are proactively seeking God and trying, what are you doing, Lord, and, and really pressing into the waiting? Or is it passive where you take your hands off it and, you know, well, I, I can't make it happen, so I'm not even going to think about it. I, I'm, I'm the sort of theological thinker who likes ambiguity now. <laughs> when I was younger, not so much. You, you want to know what, which, one, which one is right. You know, who's, who's right about this? And, uh, and there's something in that. Yeah, I think you, there is one that's more right. I think the context looks at the second, that it's not passive. But perhaps it could be, have an element of passive. But passive not in a defeatist way, but that in you actually accept a situation, not that you accept the circumstances of it, but you accept that you can't change it and it's in God's hands. And you give it over. And if that's what you mean by passive, then I think, yes. But active also, sometimes like, you know, for example, with our kids, if they're not saved, not working with Christ, uh, I give them over to him, probably because if I'm constantly aware of it, I don't know if I can function properly. That's what it can be like when you're waiting for something big. But if I am always like that, well, do I really love? Am I really moved? Am I really... Do I care? Am I actually connected to this thing? Is it really important? And so I find that we go in and out of levels of concern and I think God does that to preserve us, if that makes sense. So I think this waiting, this cover, or however it's pronounced, has those components. I, I like the idea sometimes of both and in scripture. I like to, you know, look at something like glory. I don't want to talk about it too much. People struggle to say, what does the glory of God mean? I like that. Because God is actually meant to be somewhat mysterious. Otherwise, if we can figure him out with our theological constructs, well, he's not really God, is he? In fact, I sort of wars against that. Who's like me? Who can think like... If I was God, I wouldn't do what he does. I wouldn't have a guy born blind for 30 years and leave him there for a moment in time, and yet here I am speaking about it. I'm not good with that. And I don't, I don't have a bitter heart towards God. It's just like, oof, if I, it was in, within my power, I wouldn't do that. You see, he thinks eternally, he thinks differently. He's quite okay to let us wait. Despite all of the logical reasons we've got for why we shouldn't wait, come on, we can even come up with biblical reasons why God shouldn't be doing what he's doing. <laughs> Can't we? Absolutely. When I was a very young Christian... Three months old, struggling with incredible doubt. I needed deliverance and the denomination I was in didn't really believe in it. Messed up from drugs, the occult and generational curses and all this stuff. And I had read, I devoured the Bible like a mad thing. It was like a new drug for me. I replaced marijuana with the Bible. And I, was, I had to be devouring it. And I read that verse that God wouldn't tempt you beyond that which you can bear, but in fact he'll give you a way up, out or a way to stand up under it, etc. And I read that and I thought, that ain't happened. I used the Bible against itself and against God because I thought, I can't stand this. He hasn't given me a way out, so I'm done. But I did that numerous times, but usually by the next morning I'd come crawling back and say, you know, who shall I go to? You've got the words of eternal life because he had radically converted me. But I was still very messed up. <laughs> 
and uh, pretty much perfect now, but you know, <laughs> just ask Angela, she'll tell you later. So, because Isaiah 40, 40, not 41, um, people debate about how to translate it, and if you go home later and you can do your own research and you'll find that, you look up the Hebrew word for weight and commentary, you'll find this diversity of opinion basically split between active and passive. Um, and so therefore the translations differ and sometimes one translation will say that they that wait upon the Lord upon the Lord and that sounds a little bit like what's that one say? yeah we're going to get to that that's the third one they that wait upon the Lord and it sounds a bit like a waiter metaphor from a cafe maybe hello sir can I take your order? that's pretty good I think the emphasis some people can have though is that they that wait on the Lord is that we're very active in our pursuing him and maybe there's, there's definitely truth in that, definitely. Uh, they that, so they that wait upon the Lord, they that wait on the Lord, upon, proactive, on, more passive. I like the both and thought. Did I already say that? Okay. I must like it because I said twice. And then there's the, they that hope in the Lord. And again, this is about this complexity of interpretation, it would seem. Um, it shifts it a little bit. In fact, some people would say that the waiting here is expectant hope. They that have expectant hope. And I actually tend to like all of that because I like hope and our church is called Living Hope and we have Hope Walk and we have hope. Um, so I like the concept of hope and, and hope is, as you know, it's not, oh, I hope it doesn't rain today, human hope. It's hope based on Christ. Sure promises that come and his spirit witness and to us. There's something that we can build our lives on. I can build my life upon these things. So, all of those things together. Um, I just want to share a testimony. I may not get to unpack Isaiah 40. Um, how this worked out for me practically. The other day, my daughter um, said to me, and she's not a Christian, she lives at home with us with her little daughter, a nine-month-old granddaughter who's uh, the cutest baby ever born, I think. Uh, all grandparents and parents think the same of their own. So I can say that because I've got the microphone. And, and so w- that's good, but obviously there, there's no guy around. It, and there's, we were in court the other week because he's violent towards her uh, and they haven't had anything to do with each other since she was early days pregnant. It's complicated. So we're not squeaky queen, clean pastors. We have complex lives. Um, and so we're real and open about it. And it's just a reality. But my daughter said to me just this week, she said, it feels like this year is just all about waiting. And I haven't discussed with her that that's the number one thing God's saying to me. When we had our equip here in um, Melbourne, in our church network, and a bunch of you went, a young girl from a church in Sydney who we don't know very well uh, maybe you've talked to her once or twice before. She came over to us and said, I have a prophetic word for you. And she said, it's about wait. And God was already speaking to me about waiting. And then she talked about the song that I referenced, which had been shown to me in the past, but it just glossed over me. I didn't pay attention to it. In fact, it so didn't stick with me that I, about a week later, God was talking to me about waiting. And I mentioned to Angela and she said, yeah, that's, that's, that's what Sarah said to us. Um, this girl from Sydney I'm like, oh yeah because I'm a bit thick you see oh yeah he's got to tell me numerous times uh, oh that's what's going on 
And so even my daughter said it's like a year of waiting because for her she's waiting to see what happens with court and by proxy so are we. What does this mean for our granddaughter? Is she going to end up having to have some level of access with this guy that's out of the drug world and he's violent and destructive and abusive? What does that mean for her? That's a big question. So there's waiting. What does this mean over the course of her life for this little tacker who doesn't understand any of this stuff right now and she's happy? That's a big deal. Uh, My mother is really unwell. I might be back in Melbourne um, next week even, I think week after, something like that, because she has to have an operation. Without the operation, she has been told that she won't live more than six months. She was told that two months ago. And so she's, they, they said two months ago, the early February, she's got to have this by the end of February. We were told on Wednesday, and this is just one of a many lot of processes, that oh, we'll find out the results of the test that she had last week in Melbourne. I think it was last week. It's all a blur. And we... We didn't get them. It's like, what? So we're waiting. We've got to wait now till next Wednesday to find out. So I might have to bring my daughter and my granddaughter down to see my mum because that might be the only time they see her because she's 88, she's got a frail heart and it's a heart op. She might not make it out the other side. So our church knows that our life is very complicated and maybe I won't be able to do what I'm doing because you only get one mother. Angela's dad has got severe dementia. Her mum passed away in October, November. Um, and so, you, you know, I'm just going to say what you've said. It's blunt. It's like though her dad has already died and his body's here. We're waiting. Oh, my prayer is that the Lord either changes him radically or takes him because he hardly recognises people. We're waiting. Ah, it's all these things. We've been in a five-year process to buy a building We've raised a quarter of a million dollars. It's quite amazing for a small church. Uh, we could have bought one a long time ago, but we're waiting for a particular building or one that we really think is God. And we're in a really blessed situation in that we pay $100 to have a whole school for the whole day. We've got everything except the admin block. And it's like, well, we're not pressured. <laughs> we're blessed. But we're waiting. What's going to happen there? And so, you know, you can fill in the blanks for what you may be waiting for um, big, small and otherwise. So all of this stuff, I, I go to a place called Cataract Dam once or twice a week because I'm from the bush in Tasmania and I like to get in the bush. I hear God better there. And so I was down there praying and not, not very effective prayer. Do you know about not effective prayer? Talking to the ceiling. Oh God, 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 lots of words, no connection. It's a bit like a bad marriage. But... Um, just the relational connection not coming in. And so I'm walking around doing the praying thing, and this has happened to me a lot over the years. God's sort of like, he seems to say, are you going to be quiet anytime soon? Because prayer is talking with and to God. It's not just to, but it's with. It's a two-way street. Jesus said, by sheep hear my voice, etc. We know it through the word and by the spirit. Anyway, I was walking around doing the thing, and he said, just, I felt the Spirit of God gave an impression to me, sit on that rock. I thought, okay, I can do that. <laughs> I'll sit on that rock. So I sat down on there, waiting, impatiently, looking at the bees. I'm highly allergic to bees and there's all these bees and I'm thinking, this isn't a good place for me to be. And uh, the bees were doing their pollination thing and it was like God was sort of 
reminding me that he's sovereign and he's up to things and there's this ecosystem working that he's put in place. That's a cool revelation. Yeah, good. But I've got no specific direction about all these things I'm waiting for. So I thought, well, I'm going to go now after 15 minutes of epic waiting. Um, So I got up to walk away and I thought, well, what was that all about? And I just felt like God was speaking to me about lots of things. And it was like he showed me again, you just have to stop sometimes. It's like, why sit on the rock? Because I need you to slow your heart down, your spirit down, your mind down, your thinking down, so that you can actually really connect with me. And I had this thought, and it started showing me some things about waiting. I thought, he asked us to wait, I think, to test how much we value him. Because we wait for that which we value, even if it's reluctant. And I thought, well, we wait reluctantly sometimes because we value the outcome and we say, all right, I'll accept the inconvenience for the end result. So when I go to that post office and nonetheless there's eight people, well, I've driven there. It's an inconvenience. I have to wait for eight people. How dare they? Uh, but I'll accept it. Sometimes it's 15 people and you're outside the shop. It's the only place in our city, I think, where you queue like this. And um, that's what we do, though. We accept the inconvenience for the end result. But waiting spiritually for God is that we're accepting an inconvenience for now in our lives because the end result is him and what he thinks and what he says and what his will is and what he wants to do in his way at his time. Not yours. Or mine. Running out of time. So I'm not going to unpack Isaiah 40. just going to finish with some thoughts. People who had to wait in Scripture, I think we see a direct correlation between waiting and effectiveness in Scripture. And two of the most well-known waiters, not waiters, but waiters, were probably Moses, Old Testament, perhaps the biggest figure, along with David. And New Testament, you really can't go past Paul, except, of course, Jesus. But even let's start with Jesus, though. Um, a lot of people say, oh, when he was baptised with the Holy Spirit and heaven opened and the Father said, well done, uh, was it well done, my son? I love you, yeah, yeah. You're my son in whom I'm well pleased. My beloved son in whom I'm, I got it now. Those three things. We say, it's so important and Jesus hadn't done a thing at that time and this is the way how God feels about us. Well, I believe that. However, for 30 years, he'd done a lot. He'd lived the life in obscurity and we don't know much about what he did. No, he wasn't up preaching all the time or we really see a little snapshot about when he ran away to the temple because he needed to be in his father's house. But he, he, he was living it. He was doing a lot. Not, not a lot of the this, but a lot of this. And, and it was like a validation of who he was as the son of God. So he waited 30 years. Moses, um, some people say 40 years learning to be everything in the courts of Pharaoh. Rises up, kills an Egyptian, creating an Ishmael through not waiting. Goes into the desert, 40 years learning to become nothing so that God could use him. And then the last 40 years, after that waiting of 80 years, two-thirds of his life, learning to be everything for God in the deliverance of the children of Israel, who was on the other side of his waiting and how many? And who was on the other side of his obedience? Though it be forced almost, God 
moving circumstances and him running for his life because he feared that he'd be killed because he wasn't ready, but he felt a call. He knew a call. And Paul, we quite often think, well, Paul, there he was, you know, persecuting Christians uh, from a young age, Stephen, then others going around breathing out murderous threats, etc., gets knocked to the ground, has an encounter with God. Then he's this epic, awesome apostle. Hang on, 13 years. In the backside of the desert, I think Galatians says that he was getting revelation from God. 13 years of obscurity. And in the church, so often we think, well, here's this pumped individual let's give them a profile and God's saying well maybe I've called them to a profile but there's a certain timing to fulfill my purposes that I'm not letting everybody in on I'm just going to let you wait but he's in the waiting he's in the waiting John Piper says in an article on waiting he says waiting on the Lord is the opposite of running ahead of the Lord and it's the opposite of bailing out on the Lord It's staying at your appointed place while he says stay or it's going to his appointed place while he says go. It's not impetuous and it's not despairing. Are you in trouble? Do you need his capacity? Do you feel ignored or overlooked? Is this a season of waiting? Don't waste your wait. What are you waiting for? Who are you waiting for? is a better question and remember that he's in the waiting would you like to stand with me please we're going to pray and we may well have a prayer call if you'd like us to pray for you specifically I'm sure we can do that but I'm going to ask you just to pray for yourself right now I may have done this last time I was here we do this a lot in our church If if you feel that you would like the Lord to minister to you, can I ask you just to take your own hand and place it on your heart? And I'm going to pray for you and you're going to pray for yourself. And so, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, Father God, we thank you, Father, Son, Spirit, that you are on our side. We thank you that you have our best interests at heart. And that all things in our lives work together for us because we love you. And Lord, I pray right now for everybody that can hear my voice, that though we be waiting for something that maybe even causes us anguish, even makes us question your character sometimes, your goodness. Lord, I pray that you give us a fresh capacity to trust you with it. Waiting is like trust. And help us, Lord, to make an active choice to trust you, proactively and passively. And I pray, God, that we would find not just answers and peace and counsel, but specifically you in the midst of our waiting. And I pray that as we go through the process, we can look back and other people will look at us and and say, wow, look what happened in their life. And it brought glory to Jesus. We thank you for your son who did not run ahead or lag behind what you called him to do. As difficult as it was, he fixed his eyes on the prize, the prize being submission to your will. And it filled him with joy. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you would like us to pray with you about anything at all, I'm going to hand over to Ian.
Um, Angel and I would love to pray with you if you would like that. Bless you guys. Thanks, Dale. One of the toughest lessons we can learn in life is to wait. Um, If you've been waiting for a long time for something and not seeing God's hand in it and you just want some prayer of encouragement to continue to wait and continue to trust in him, invite you to come up and come forward. We'll pray for you and... uh, But can I also encourage you to fix your eyes, all of us, to fix our eyes on the one who waited on his father and went to the cross on our behalf. If something, Sharon? Yep. Just uh, in the worship, I just went back and I felt like God put it on my heart again. I had a picture of you, Geraldine, and you were in worship and your hair was wet. It was like water being a symbol of the Holy Spirit was just coming on you. And I don't know if you're in a particular difficult season, whether that's true or not, but it just was like as you were worshipping and you were humble, it was like God's Spirit was raining down on you. That's just all I saw. Thanks, Dale. So if you have any, anything you'd like prayer about, please come forward and uh, we'll pray for you. Um, encourage you this week to spend time fasting and praying for the Kiwis and for the disaster, the tragedy that's happened over there and for God's hand to move in that situation. Um, encourage you to either come to prayer on Wednesday night or come here and support Eric and Terry and the work they're doing, uh, important work that they're doing, that uh, launch of the movie. Um, please say, have some lunch with us. Uh, there's leftover sausages, rissoles, chicken shazlicks, um, all sorts of stuff there, and various cakes and things as well. Free coffee and tea for our visitors. Uh, remind you, those who are not visitors, the money we raise for this, all, all of it goes directly to a school for underprivileged kids in northern India. Every cent of it, we don't take out the cost of the coffee or milk or anything like that. So encourage you to just be mindful of that. You don't have to pay every week, but maybe once a month you bring along some cash or you transfer some money into the account and label it coffee and we'll make sure it gets to them. Every month we like to send them over whatever we can from that. So I encourage you to uh, be generous with that as well. God bless you all. Have a fantastic week. We hope to see you Wednesday night. Uh, if not, next Sunday we've got Dave Bird with us. He'll be preaching. So looking forward to that, and uh, Dave's a great minister of the word. He knows his, uh, his theology, his Bible, and a really inspiring preacher. And it's going to be great to catch up with him after 12, uh, several months that I've been up in New South Wales now. Um, and invite you all back next Sunday for, uh, for that and for some more fellowship, and uh, we can grow our friendship, grow in and under the Lord and in our relationship with him, as we gather together, as we worship, and uh, bless you all, and see you shortly around the coffee or next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.